Father, as we come this morning to open your word, we ask that you'd open our hearts. Through your Holy Spirit, you would cause us to be able to, to see and hear and put together things that will touch our lives forever. And we worship you, praise you, and thank you for the grace you've lavished on us. We come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You uh, ever have one of those topics that you feel like no matter what you say, you're going to get somebody to disagree with you? Maybe everybody a little bit, uh, meaning that there's so many points of view about what we're going to talk about this morning in the sense of marriage and headship. Um, the uh, picture of, of understanding how a marriage comes together and works in the framework of, of, of Christian, you first have to understand the whole idea of, of, of what God has put together and the way God has made things to come together. And the scripture I have is Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting with verse 22, where it talks about wives submit to your husbands. And right off the bat, you start off on, on, on tough ground. Uh, so I felt what I would want to do on my, my defense uh, would be to go back to uh, Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19 this morning that initially that uh, was read uh, as our reading this morning at the beginning of the service. And look at it once again, uh, starting with verse 7 where the statement the psalmist writes, David makes a very clear statement. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect or blameless, meaning without any kind of spot or wrinkle. Uh, it's kind of the picture of what God, how we see ourselves, you know, as presented before Christ, what Christ has done for us to present us without spot or wrinkle. It's perfect, blameless. And so God's Word is absolutely perfect. Uh, its precepts in verse 8 say they are are absolutely right uh, the commanding uh, the commandment of the lord is pure verse 9 the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the rules of the lord or the decrees of the lord are true and righteous altogether meaning perfect in justice no wavering no kind of oh i hope it's this way or it can go this way it's perfect in justice and then the, the interesting statement is it's more to be desired. Uh, the, the laws of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord uh, in their righteousness and, and, and their holiness and their perfectness, they are to be desired uh, uh, more than gold, even much fine gold. And it was interesting. I, I thought about what fine gold is. And one of the things that's interesting about fine gold, have, I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, uh, the art of gold leafing. It's actually taking gold and, and, and using it to highlight artwork, picture frames, other types of, of, of furniture, different types of things. 
and it is actual gold. I mean, it, it, it's an expensive addition to any kind of artwork you want to do. What I kind of knew in the back of my head and didn't realize, though, is that there's even a gold leafing for food. It is so fine and so pure that you can actually ingest it. You know, a little bit on, you know, and uh, I thought, you know, that it's that fine gold. We're talking about something that is so perfect, you know. Uh, and, and he's saying you could have all the fine gold of the world. You could have all the gold, the fine gold, the best gold, the most beautiful gold. No matter how you want to put it, it's nothing compared to having the Word of God. It's, it's, it's more desired than gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. I, I, again, it's one of those things. We live in a rural area. I don't know how many of you have ever uh, been to an apiary or, or were a, a beekeeper and, and, and had the opportunity to have honey directly out of the comb, unrefined. I know you can buy it that way, but there's something about it when it just you, you've gone like this to the comb and gone like this, and and it's it's just special. It's just neat, and I've had many opportunities in my lifetime to be able to do that. Mostly because I like to use the honeycomb wax, uh, actually in a context of furniture finish, and so I normally try to get to be friends with apiaries in the area that, so I can get the the stuff that I want, and. Uh, it, so we're talking about something that is so sweet, so smooth, so perfect. And, and, and so it's, it's something that you, I guess you have to say, and I'm cautious how I use the word covet. Do you covet? Do you long for? Do you seek after with a hunger and a thirst the Word of God? Because that's the implication to all of this. It's that valuable that you would put it ahead of precious things. If you were being robbed and they were going to steal all your fine gold and the word, the thing you would hide would be the word. It's that important to you. Great reward in in, in seeking after them and following them, but I, I liked verse 12. Who can discern its errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, you know. know. But who can discern its errors? Who has the ability to come to say, well, the Word of God, and this is going to be in our discussion this morning, the Word of God says this over here, and the Word of God says this over here. Well, that's in conflict with each other. God's made a mistake. Well, wait a minute. Who's able to discern the errors of God? If there is a contradiction it's not in here. It's in our perception. Does that make sense? Because, and some people, this is really hard to accept, but it's the truth. It is the reality. We come from the position, and, and the very first statement of, 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 uh, in our statement of faith is the reality that this is the Word of God. God has preserved His Word in such a way that we have it accurately even today. And First uh, Peter and, and Second Timothy talk about the fact that it is God breathed. It's not some man's idea, but these are the things that God has salvaged for us, if you will. Of uh, you know, somebody say, "Well, Moses wrote Genesis. He wasn't there. God was. 
And according to Peter, Moses wrote by the, the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit. God breathed in him in the sense of putting it together. He wasn't just repeating folklore. He was repeating God's purpose of, of what had happened, how it happened, and, and, and how we ended up where we are. It's all God breathed. And it's valuable. And, and who can look at it and say, oh, God, I think, made a mistake here. Who can discern its errors? There is, and the implication is that that's a rhetorical question. Nobody can. It's kind of like how he asked Job, isn't it? When Job's questioning about how things have come together, there must be a mistake here. Now, Job hadn't lost his faith in any way. So the fact that we find our times and moments where we don't understand what God has done and can't help but think somehow this isn't right, and I've been there, I've been through these things personally, but as, as you have time to, to rest in God and then through His Spirit, He brings a sense of peace that He says, I do know what I'm doing. Can you rest in that? And it comes back to this, who am I, Job, in this sense, who am I to try to correct God? Were you there, He says to Job, when I created all of this? When I put it all together? While the angels were singing about what was going on, were you there? So we have this picture of, of, and I think Psalm 19 is awesome. Psalm 119 goes on and tells us a lamp unto our feet, a guide, you know, a light unto our path. I, I don't know how many of you have been in a in, in a school or 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 a, a group where they say the the Christian pledge of allegiance, but that's part of it. I will make the word of God a light unto my uh, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. And and so this idea is 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 that David could clearly see how valuable the word of God was to those who seek the glory of God, who seek his his righteousness and his holiness. Uh, the song we were singing a few moments ago, and I, and I don't, I can't repeat the phrase now, but it had the idea of lead me to where you are. And the first thought of my mind was up. And while I was standing right there, I was looking over here, and my Bible was like this. And I saw my Bible, and I said, well, that's where I need to go to see and find the things about God. Yes, that's where he is, but this is what's going to lead me there. That's how important this is to us. It's how uh, uh, we look at it, and while we, we if we're going to, to say that this is the Word of God, then at difficult scriptures, we have to look and see, it doesn't say what I think it would say or should say or what I want it to say, but I need to seek why it says it this way. That makes sense. So now, with this, let's go back to Ephesians. And read Ephesians chapter 5. Actually, just the, the, the last uh, 11 verses or so, uh, verse 22 to verse 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the 
head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. See, so, no, no. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church. Immediately, somebody will take that verse and say, There's, that's not true of everybody. It's true if you're resting in Christ. First off, you, you love what God has given you in your life. And, and, I'll, and I'll qualify that. But the bottom line is, short of, of sin interfering... Man, generally speaking, does everything he can to what? Preserve himself. It's a multi-billion, billion, billion dollar industry to preserve yourself. No, verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Headship, submission, God's order to things. Hey, 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 but wait. Galatians. Galatians chapter chapter 3. Don't forget this, Bob. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Many people look at that and say, see, there's it's one or the other. It can't be both, this attitude. And, and they look at that and say, there's no male or female, so how can there be a, a, a husband uh, to submit to or the husband who's the head of the home, this type of thing? Everyone, the, 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 the teaching that comes out of that that is in error, I believe, is that everyone is equal before the throne of God. All believers, all the elect are saved the, you know, the same way, uh, to the same degree, and there's no distinction. Now, I will agree, this verse does say, everyone is equal before God. There is no woman or man who stands in higher position before the throne of God, period. As the children of God, we are all equal before And that is what Paul is saying there. We have all gotten saved the same way. Women don't get saved differently than men get saved. We may have different experiences in our lifetime that lead us into salvation, but eventually it comes to the words of, of Paul where we have confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We're all saved to the same degree. 
there's nobody that's more saved than someone else. It's not biblical. I think that you might find some people that will argue that statement. There's always that, that uh, you know, almost any, any joke that encompasses the thoughts and, and, and humor about heaven must be inaccurate, you know, like Peter at the gate and all those kinds of things that go on. But the idea was the people that are in heaven and they're getting a tour and there's a big wall and there's a lot of excitement going on the other side of the wall. Who are that? Oh, they're the such and such group that don't think anybody else is saved but themselves. You know, that, that, that doesn't exist. No one is more saved than someone else is. We are all the children of God. We are all the body of Christ uh, who is the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. We are also, gentlemen, all the bride of Christ. Sounds funny for a, you know, to me to say that I am a bride because that's actually anti-culture uh, in the sense of Christian thought. And not, I shouldn't say anti-culture. It's popular in culture. Uh, but, but the idea is, is that it has nothing to do with male or female. It has to do with the love and intensity by which Christ looks at us and cares for us. We are his bride in that sense. We, he completes us. He makes us full. He, uh, he's brought us to, into salvation. Uh, it's all that. Uh, it, we're all in that same boat together, male and female. And Christ, as the head, tells us right there that there is some principle that we start to look at in reference to what we call headship. I don't know if you've ever typed this in on, on your uh, search engine, uh, but you're going to get lots of interesting things if you do. Uh, but the idea of headship is simply that there is someone who is, the, in, if you lack for a better word, is taking the responsibility for everything underneath him. Jesus Christ has taken the responsibility for his church. How? First off, he took its sin. He took the responsibility of its judgment. He's taken the responsibility to, to see to it that, that nothing is put in us that would separate us from, from his love. He's, I mean, he's, he's taken responsibility for it. And it's interesting about the idea of, of headship. Is I know this is kind of a, a, a side note, but Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't walk in and take it. And, and I'm cautious with this because of who he is. He deserves all the knees to bow and the tongues to confess him. Okay, he has always deserved that. Always will deserve that. He has never not deserved that. But when he emptied himself and came to earth as a man, he set what should be given to him in a sense of his authority aside. Uh, I, I was thinking in terms of, of, of two kinds of things where, where certain things are automatically assumed that you have to give honor to. Period. Bill, what would at least one of them be? 
who would who would you have to give for sure in a particular situation give honor to no matter what you told me many times superior officer okay yeah uh, yeah i was i was you know superior officer in other words it has nothing to do with whether you like him or don't like him it has nothing to do with whether he's good or bad it has nothing to do whether he's qualified to be there or not it's sir yes sir Yeah. No matter what, even if you're wrong. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's it's it, he he it's it. Another one is when they say uh, and I'm not sure if this is accurate. Is there a bailiff in here? I'm not sure if this is accurate, but when you when a, when, the, when they say all stand when the judge comes into the room, I do believe that the the not just the custom but the requirement is that everybody stand. But this judge is the liberal judge that lets all the potheads go, and I don't agree with him. Stand. Okay, there are certain situations that come with the rank. What comes with the rank of king of kings and lord of lords is knee bowing and tongue confessing. Period. But Jesus set that aside. It's almost like he, I, I want to be cautious again, it's almost like he earned our, our, our worship. But in a sense, he did. He didn't have to do it that way. Well, actually, yeah, he did. It was the only way to do it. Romans chapter 5, you have uh, an interesting uh, situation going on between, between the idea of, of, of how things came about to where they are. Uh, Romans chapter 5, uh, I'm just going to look at a few verses in there, uh, verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience and many were sinner, uh, made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, Now the law came to, uh, in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Two things are talked about there. First is one man's trespass, one man's disobedience. Who are we talking about? Adam. You know why? He is the head of the human race. We have all received... Well, the bodies that we have are our inheritance from Adam. <laughs> I always try to be cautious as I say this because you know how I mess up letters and words. <laughs> they are Adamic bodies. You've inherited them from Adam. What do we know about these bodies? So some of you don't know a lot yet. The older you get, the more you know. They don't want to, you know, there's a, a decay factor going on. Especially here. These, these cells don't reproduce themselves in the brain. We just re, we use the ones that haven't been used up yet. That, I, I've often, you know, you wonder why they say we only use 10% of our brain. I'm not sure how accurate that is because we're finding out different things. But we need the other two so that when part of it dies, we can reroute everything. I found out over the last few months that that's what my brain has done a few times. 
it's, it's had a few spots that said, oops, I can't work anymore. You killed it. Uh, and, and, and I had to use different parts of my brain to, to, to continue to do the things that people do. But anyway, you know, we're in decay. And that decay, by the way, started from the very moment I was born. That's not bodies we have eternally. It's not what God has promised eternally. He's promised us uh, an imperishable body. A body without wrinkle, without blemish, no decay, no, no anything. All of that is the result of Adam. Adam. Yeah, Eve. How come he didn't say Adam and Eve right there? I've read Genesis. I know who who took the first bite. How come he didn't say Eve? Adam was the head. He was responsible for her, and he failed. And the reason he failed was that he, I think he already had sin in, in his mind as, as he was. He, it says he was next to her, by the way. He wasn't off some other place. He was supposed to intervene. He was supposed to protect her. And instead he says, oh, wow. I, I'm, I'm ad libbing. I know this. But it, it's, it's, it appears that this is the way the conversation might have gone. Whoa. Ah, but if you take a bite, you die. <laughs> I know. She took a bite. He's not dead. Mm. And he took a bite. And as soon as they had eaten, they realized what sin was. And they also knew they wanted to hide from instead of run to God. And the whole world went downhill from there. By the way, when you go to Genesis chapter 1, and two, we see that it was perfect, right? In fact, it's, it's really quite fascinating when you go through. At the end of, 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 of the fifth day, everything was good. At the end of the sixth day, uh, he gets up to the point where he's created all the animals. And again, he says, oh, it's good. But then he said, let us make man in our image. Male and female, let us make them. By the way, what does that tell us? Male and female are both made in the image, in the context of our spiritual being. We are in the image of God and equal before the throne of God. And they were co-regents. They were both had authority, I believe, in the garden. But Adam was the federal head and responsible. Didn't mean he couldn't ask her a question. It just meant that he, if, if things, he was responsible for making sure that, that God's word was observed. By the way, after it, after they're created, he doesn't just say it's good. That's all he said after day one, after day two, three, four, five, good. And even halfway through the day six, good. But at the end, when he had Adam and Eve in the picture, he said, very good. And it's one of those things that you know kind of hits you all of a sudden. You realize he's saying, I have. Finish this now. I'm doing this. And he says, I get to put your neighbors here now.
this is all great, but it's missing my, my representative. It's missing my children here. It's missing, and now it's marriage. But when sin enters in, they realize what they've done. They're hiding from God. They've covered themselves, all of those kinds of things. And God comes looking for them. Now, God doesn't have to look for them. Looking for them means that he wants them to do what he, they have always done. There's an implication here. They have always come running to him. I can't help but think of... I, I showed up to the basketball game. Uh, uh, what day did we go to the basketball game? Thursday. And... Uh, my granddaughter's in the car. My daughter picked us up and drove us. And she's, Papa, 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 constantly talking to me. As soon as we got out of the car, she comes around and just hugs me. Whenever she sees me, she, you know, she comes running up to me and just throws arms around me and hugs me. She does not run from me until, and there are times where I go to, to, to call her and she's reluctant to come. And I realize she's, done something that she wasn't supposed to do. She knows it. And she knows that she has what? Disappointed me? She's not. I don't think she's afraid of my wrath as much as she is in spirit disappointed. I'm, I've, I've hurt. I'm gonna, this, is not, this is not going to, to please Papa. And when God calls out, he says, Eve, what have you done? Adam and Eve, what have you done? He says, Adam, where are you? And that is a question that is full of thoughts. Why are you not running to me, Adam? And he's putting it back on Adam to think it through. And what does he say? God, the woman you gave me, the one whom I've called bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, I will call her woman because she completes me. She's everything that I've wanted. When we named all the animals, when we went through all of that, there wasn't anything that satisfied my need or could come alongside me and help me to be everything that I can be. That woman, the woman didn't even get a chance to be asked. She just said, the devil made me do it. that get them off the hook? No. Was Eve off the hook, by the way? No. We're all responsible for our own sin. But the, I guess what I'm just trying to see is that before there was ever a fall in sin, God had the context of a headship principle. I haven't got a clue as to where I am in my notes. The last thing I have on this page is it's ready for them. <laughs> um, the idea of marriage. The husband and the wife will come together. The husband will leave his family and, and come to and the wife will come together and the two will become one in Genesis chapter two. The two will become one. That is such an important concept. It's a covenant relationship. The two will enter into a relationship together. That is such 
that they will complete each other and, and so much so that they actually become one in, the, the, in, in who they are. How many times do we actually say, you know, maybe sometimes jokingly, but in reality there's a truth to it, my better half, referring to our spouse. Forty-five years of marriage, we've had its ups and downs, but we are in harmony about the most important thing there is, and that is who is Jesus Christ and that this is his will. And because of that, I believe we are still in harmony with our Lord. Two will become one. That was nothing insignificant. It's repeated more than once. And even Jesus in chapter 19, when he's talking to the Pharisees, uh, Matthew chapter 19, talking to the Pharisees about, about marriage and divorce, he's saying the most important thing you're missing, they, their first question was, what about divorce? And he says, wait a minute, what about marriage? <laughs> Let's talk about the right thing first. What, what is the right thing? The right thing is that two together become one. The idea is, and he says, well, then why come... Moses let us, because of sin. This is what God intended. Sin interrupted. I'm going to suggest to you the context of headship, submission, and all the things that go with it, and we're going to look at this more carefully. Obviously not today, because it's going to have to happen next week, and then Levi gets a reprieve for one more week. Uh, and, and, and the reality of, of, of what happened is that sin interfered. When you look at Genesis or Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, and you see we're all equal before God, and then we see headship, and it's not either one, it's both. It's not one or the other, it's them together. How does that work? That's what we're going to look at next week in the context of understanding the headship principle was intact. Sin has disrupted it. And that's why when we look at two verses and we're saying, I don't get it, is the problem. Sin interferes with our vision. And in our culture today, there are a lot of, there's a tremendous amount of confusion in, in evangelical circles even in reference to the idea of, of women and, and the role of women in headship principles and submission in, in both the, the idea of marriage. We've already talked about it in the to elders and leadership within the church, I want to suggest to you that those who are even holding the idea of, of headship principles have, can do so with corruption to the point that it becomes wrong in the way it's perceived. Just as people who say, well, that doesn't exist, Paul made a mistake or there's a mistake over here, everything, and they hold that in corruption, if you will. And I'm not saying there's a compromise in, the, in between, but I do believe there is a truth. And the only reason why there's difficulty in seeing it is because we've come clouded with sin. The two shall become one. The reason why Moses allowed divorce was because of sin. If we were to go back, well, back in Ephesians chapter... Verse 31, there Paul says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. How 
how it comes together, how it all works. It's a, it's a, a mystery. Not a secret in the sense of mystery. Mystery is something that has been revealed. It, 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 there is something that we can see. The mystery of salvation is a profound thing too, is it not? You know? uh, but we can understand. Uh, and, and it refers to Christ and the church in some particular way. Our marriages are to reflect that. And that's what I want to look at next week. Just a quick return to Romans chapter 5. Since you brought that up as, as that picture of, of Adam as the head of the human race and the, and the, and the fall, who was it that, that brought sin into the world? I want to read again verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's many were made sinners, all of us, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The one man who is disobedient is Adam. Who is the one who has made made righteousness? Who is the one who is obedient? Jesus. He is also referred to as the second Adam. Isn't that kind of an interesting comparison? We know the first Adam failed. The second Adam what? Succeeded in every way that Adam failed. In fact, the second Adam has succeeded in every way that all of Adam's posterity, all of us, have failed. The second Adam has succeeded. Perfect sinless, without blemish, just as is Jesus. One man who came, one act of righteousness, one act of obedience, in the sense of it's referring to the picture of the cross. So that, you know, sin reigned in death, grace, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, all handled at the cross where Jesus poured out his life and said, it is finished, meaning the work that is needed to be accomplished because of Adam's sin and all subsequent sin has been taken care of. That work is done. Anybody who has confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord believes in their heart that he is the Son of God rests in that finished work. Isn't that amazing? We are such a blessed people in so many ways. I, we talked about this in Bible study this week. But the idea of being blessed in such a way that you know we're, we're able to uh, uh, have the freedoms that we have and the worship that we have and how around the world that's not the case. And, and, and it's hard to comprehend what goes on in other places and especially the persecution of Christians I've never, I, I just, it's beyond me. I've had some experiences where I have been looked down on and lost some, some, if you will, uh, things because of being a Christian and holding to my faith. But I've never really lost 
then I have somebody from Liberia tell me the same thing when he's talking about having lost people that he loved in, in death. And he says, but the thing that I, I and not that they didn't have value, but, but the idea is, is that even if they take my life, I haven't lost the most valuable thing. The most valuable thing I have is Christ. For me to live is Christ. To live, to die is gain. So the, the worst thing the world can do to me, take my life, I win. Because I've confessed with my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I take the words, it is finished, and I allow them to be applied and rest in the truth. It is finished at the cross, and I'm saved. Ask the ushers to come forward to uh, uh, pick up the emblems uh, for communion, pass them out until we've all been, and hold them until we've all been served, and we'll share it together. shall call with trumpet sound. When he shall call with trumpet sound, 
church, Jesus Christ our Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and said, this identifies me in the flesh. I know I'm paraphrasing, but that was the implication. This is my flesh. This is my body. He wanted us to realize, this is, how, this is I emptied myself, and this is, I'm, I am in the flesh, the real body, and this body is your sacrifice. He asked as often as we would share this bread, we'd do it remembering him. That's why we call it a memorial supper sometimes, uh, and we, the remembrance of the Lord. And a lot of times you'll see a, a, a fancy carving on the front of uh, remembrance and, 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 uh, and the sense of, of the Lord's table. Okay. He came in the flesh, and he wants us to remember that he did that in order to purchase our salvation. So let's share in the flesh together. Not only is the bread the symbol of his flesh, but the cup, as he said, would be the symbol of his blood poured out to purchase the cup. And again, while we don't literally eat his flesh or drink his blood, we eat these symbols as a remembrance for what he has done so that as often as we do, we think about all that he has done for us. We think of his grace, his mercy, and even the idea of coming to him and even as we share at communion time and reflect on communion and before communion, think of the things that we might need to come before God with and, and ask for a clean heart. We allow this time to be a time of conviction, but also a time of, of conviction about what Christ has, has done for us and, and, and also a sense of what He is yet to do. He says, do this as often as you do until Father, we thank you that we could come today to worship, to praise, to, to, to open your word, to break bread together, to fellowship together. We ask, Lord, that you would cause us to rest in your grace in such a way that we have that confidence that what first Adam is, what we've inherited from the first Adam, has been erased in the sense of. of, 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 of condemnation by you, Jesus Christ, our sacrifice. We rest with confidence that the cross is a once and for all, it is finished, nothing left to bring, accomplished thing. And we thank you, we worship you, we praise you. Cause us to go in such a way that we want to see other people have that same confidence. 
Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? I know we have some refreshments in the back. And uh, appreciate you being here this morning. Thank you.